0: been great to be with you. I've been with you the last couple of Sundays. Two Sundays ago we looked at what the servant leader is, some characteristics of a servant leader last week. I shared with you some principles for the journey from Joshua chapter 1. And uh, and we, we looked at being in that transition and in that journey and how God gives us some things that help us through that. And so this morning, I kind of wanted to focus on something a little bit different, and that is our attitude in this process, uh, because attitude is is huge. I raised two two girls, um, and uh, you know they were they were they were good girls, um, obedient most all the time, but it, it wasn't just the obedience that that was important. Attitude had a big play in that, uh, because sometimes they would be obedient, but the attitude just wiped everything else out. And, if, and I'm not just talking about girls, because I know I've got a grandson that has the same issue, so I think it's non-gender specific, um, and even working with adults. I've worked with adults on mission trips and things, and yeah, they're there, they're getting things done, but man, their attitude just stinks. And, uh, and, you, and you think, why did you even do this? And, and it's because, well, you, you made me do it. That's why I'm doing it. Well, uh, attitude plays uh, a lot in our life, and especially as we are going through different challenging times in our life and transitions and being on a journey. If our attitude does not reflect the heart of Christ, then it kind of takes a lot away from what we're trying to do and the impact that it can have. And, and God's given us such a great gift of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit uh, that, that he's given us to work with, and joy is a big part of that. And uh, so I want to talk to you this morning about extreme joy, the joy of unity. Um, when there's disunity, there's a lack of joy, and, and I'll kind of define the difference between happiness and joy here in a little bit. I'm going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1 this morning, and I love the book of Philippians. Uh, my life verse is in that, uh, is in that uh, epistle where Paul uh, says, you know, forget that which lies behind and press on to that which lies ahead for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Man, that was my life since I didn't come to Christ I was 27 after eight years in the Navy, I was just a very wild person up until that point and my struggle with with not just being a Christ follower but serving Christ as a, a pastor and a preacher was I had to let go of a lot of junk from the past. A lot of forgiven sin I had to forgive myself and not let that become a hindrance. Paul writes to the church at Philippi because he loves this church. This is one of those those books where he doesn't deal with problems in the church because there really there weren't any specific things that had come to his attention that he needed to focus on. Now, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, that's a whole different issue. Uh, he had all kinds of problems when he was writing to the church at Galatia. There were issues that he had to deal with and he focused on those as well as uh, threading in those words of encouragement and those challenges. But this book is a, is a wonderful book of his great relationship with them, a love relationship. Even, even when he was in the midst of crisis, While well, he was there at times. So I want to talk about uh, uh, this this attitude that we need to have. Because attitude plays a huge part in how we are serving the Lord and how effective we will be. And, uh, and the attitude or the, the joy of being unity, again, when there's, there's problems, when there's disconnect, when there's tension, there's not unity. And the joy of the Lord really does not have the freedom to come out. And, and by the way, uh, you have... All the fruit of the Spirit. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. It's there. It's not an issue of what God wants to do in and through you. It's an issue of how you're going to allow him to do it. And if all the other stuff of life gets in the way of the fruit of the Spirit flowing through you, then you're not being as effective for the kingdom. And that means that a lot of times we have to throw away our own wants, desires, our own agendas, our own feelings. We need to reconcile where reconciliation needs to take place. We need to be forgiving where forgiveness needs to take place. We need to move intentionally toward that so that the joy of the Lord will flow freely through us and impact and influence the lives of those around us. Norman Vincent Peale said, he said, problems are a part of life. All of us are going to have problems right up to the moment we die, and some of you are going to have problems after you die. And I thought that was that was pretty good. Uh, you know, people don't just listen to what we're saying. They look at us and perceive things from that. Deal Moody, uh, when he was teaching a class of young preachers about preaching, uh, was explaining this concept to them. And he said, now, men, when you're preaching about grace and God's love and redemption and the hope of eternal life and, and God's kingdom in heaven, he said, when you're preaching on that, man, let your face light up. You know, show the excitement, show the, the anticipation of what that life is going to be. He said, on the other hand, when you speak about hell, well, your normal faces will do. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think that's a great illustration because we talk about the joy of the Lord. We talk about redemption. We talk about all the promises of God. And people might look at us like, man, if that's what it looks like, I really don't know that I want it. And that's not putting on a front. We can do that. But the idea is, is that when the Holy Spirit, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, and we're able to move all the circumstances and all of our own feelings out of the way, and we can focus on just what we were focusing on in our worship, the faithfulness of God and the promise that he has given us and the hope that we have in him and the promise, I mean, all of that. And, and just let the joy of the Lord come through us, even in the most dire circumstances and the greatest challenges of our life, people will see that. And that will be the authentic Christ-likeness that we want them to see, because that promise is what drives us. Philippians chapter 1, let me begin in verse 3, and um, we're going to read through verse 11 this morning. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is one of those passages and and Paul finishes out throughout the rest of the book that really reveals this close-knit relationship with Jesus and with this body of believers. So let me share a few things with you this morning. Number one, joy is found in unity of thought. In unity of thought when we have like thinking. Now that doesn't mean that we're always going to be uh, unified in, in how we want to do things, but it's unified in thought and what our purpose is. Uh, when, I, when I'm working with, with churches, I'll, I'll tell them we're not looking for uniformity, we're looking for unity. We don't all have to agree the same on everything, but we need to be unified in where you're going to go and what you want to do. So Paul says that he gives thanks, first of all, to God for his relationship with that church. Every time he thought of them, he was blessed, and the very thought of them brought joy to his heart, much like you have with your missions around the world. Uh, John's gonna go and and visit them and what a great joy that is to go and not just hear like Brian said through an email, You, you can read an email and get all kinds of different senses from that that may not be true. But when you go and you sit down with somebody and you see how God is working and you see their heart and you see their joy and you hear their struggles, you know how to pray for them, it binds you together. And this is what Paul is saying. Listen, every time I think about you, every time I I consider what's going, it brings joy to his heart because he knows God is working in them. It's the same with any ministry partner that you have. And I love this passage because when he says that I thank my God every time to remember you and all my prayers for you, Uh, always praying with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, notice the focus. The partnership that they have is for the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where they come together. That's the unity. That's where they can serve together, walk together, sacrifice together, where they can go out and proclaim the word of Jesus Christ together. They can see people come to faith in Christ. It's the unity of the gospel. In fact, the church that I had started after we started, instead of talking about membership, I really focused more on partnership. And the reason I did that was because I, I shared with my leadership. I said, listen... I was part, uh, I was a member of the North American Hunting Club and I was a member because I, I paid a hundred bucks for a lifetime membership and it gave me a magazine every, every month and it gave me access to sales pitches and sometimes things that they sent me that I could check out and it didn't matter, I had no participation after I gave my hundred bucks but I was a member. Partnership is quite different. Partnership means that you have dual responsibility. You walk together. You're accountable to one another. You're on the same mission. Everybody's involved. You're walking hand in hand. And you're working together for the kingdom of God. And that's why I love this. In fact, for the association, I'm uh, director for Central Baptist Association. Our, our uh, statement is that we are partner, church, partner churches serving Christ together for his glory. Glory alone. We're not member churches, we are partner churches. And that's what I love about this. It's unity of thought. They have the same idea. And he says, secondly, that he prays for them with joy. Paul's prayers are for the Philippian church. They were different from his prayers for some of the other churches, where, like you know, when you hear about things that are struggling, you're on your knees in tears praying for God to do something. Or do anything to fix a situation. Paul was able to pray for them with joy about what God was doing. But how they were responding to it. And how they were serving God. And how how God was being glorified through what was taking place. Paul prayed a little differently for the Corinthian church and for the church at Galatia. I think it's important that we understand something here though. Paul wasn't promoting mere happiness of pleasure. He encouraged joy, and there is a great difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Uh, when I, if I have a choice and, and I sit down to do a, to a dinner, and there's my wife's fried chicken and mashed potatoes and chicken gravy and corn, I'm happy man. If I sit down and there's a plate of lima beans and liver, the joy, the joy goes out the window. I mean <laughs> And then we need marriage counseling from that point, because <laughs> she, she knows after 44 years not to give that to me. We see that, as I said, with, with, uh, with people. When they're doing what they want, they're getting what they want, they're happy. If they don't get what they want, they're not happy and pretty much everybody knows it. And it's not always something that they express, but it's their demeanor. It's their face. It's how they respond to things. That's happiness. Joy is there consistently and constantly. And joy is never taken away by circumstances. That's why when we read about Paul's time in prison, he and Silas are in in the dungeon down there in Philippi, and they're singing praises to God. We read about stories from missionaries uh, who were in, in persecuted situations and they still have the joy of the Lord. Uh, I have a, a friend, and, and I don't know if some of you maybe remember her, but Janice Peterson used to be a member of this church back in the, the 80s. Uh, she was a member of my church out of Teharis uh, when I went to pastor there. And Janice uh, was diagnosed with MS. And she was ambulatory. She went on a number of mission trips over the years. But her MS was progressive-aggressive. And so within just a few years, she had gotten where she was wheelchair bound and we would take her down. She was a a single lady. Her husband uh, had died and and we would take her down to the hospital and sit with with her in the emergency room and she just went through exacerbations and the pain and the suffering through rehabs. and I mean, it, it was just a very, very difficult time. She was put in a rehab center one time, and, and I went to see her and, and uh, visit with her. And she said, you know, uh, the counselors and, and the psychologist here just are struggling. And I said, What's, why, Janice? She said, because they don't understand that I have joy in my heart from Christ. And, I, and they think I should be depressed, and I should be suicidal, and I should be all this. She said, they, they can't seem to grasp the fact that I'm okay because I know Christ and I know where I'm going. She was a great witness for the Lord. Happiness is quite different from having joy in your life. Joy is independent of your circumstances. Joy is a confidence built on a relationship through Christ. And it's a joy that you will never find outside of Christ. It is not found in the world. That kind of joy that takes us through trials and struggles and challenges only comes through faith in Christ. So Paul says, listen, man, I, I, every time I think about you, I pray for you. I always pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. F.E. Arne in his book, The Living Church said this. He said, joy, that which encompasses and transcends both happiness and sadness. Once endowed with joy, a person is not likely to lose it or will not lose it. And in fact, it grows with awareness of it. Joy is like the sun, always shining, even when night falls or clouds cover it. Happiness, like the moon, waxing and waning. Happiness is a kiss. Joy is a golden wedding anniversary. Happiness is frequently shared, but not always. Joy is always shared. Happiness comes from humans. Joy comes from God. Happiness is exchanging Christmas gifts. Joy is the awareness of what Christmas is all about. You know, the question is... Is there joy in my life? When you look at your life and how you walk and how you deal with circumstances, and and when you're in the transition and on the journey, so many things can get in the way of that joy because we focus on the wrong things. God is still in control. He's still going to lead. He's still going to build. He's still going to accomplish His work, and He'll accomplish it through you, through your partnership in the gospel. But don't let all the stuff and the uncertainty and the insecurities and all the personal desires and personal agendas get in the way because when you start focusing on that, joy disappears. And I will tell you this from experience people can walk into a church and sense whether there is joy or not. And if there's not joy in the church that just radiates from the people, you can see it in their expressions and their interactions with one another in their worship, if that joy isn't there, it's not a place they want to come back to. Don't focus on the wrong things. Don't get caught up in the worldly things. Certainly, God needs to lead, and you have lots of decisions and lots of things to deal with. But let the joy of the Lord reign in your heart in such a way that others see that and are drawn to the Lord or drawn to the Spirit, drawn to Christ as a result of it. Let me move to the second thing here. Joey is found in unity of heart. Uh, verses 7 and 8. Now, right at the end there, verse 6, this is a, a passage that I share in cards a lot uh, because he closes that first verse Heart, and he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You have a great history in this church, and like every body of believers, you've had ups and downs, and you've had good times and not so good at times, and you've had different seasons. Realize this is a different season, but God's still in control. And he that began a good work in you, he's going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. As long as you are willing and able and and faithful and persevere and surrender yourselves to what God wants to do, he's going to accomplish his work. This is a time for growth. This is a time for us to depend on him and your faithfulness and perseverance. And when you do that rightly in the power of the Holy Spirit, God will be able to work in a very powerful way. In verse seven and eight, it says that it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I lo- have love, uh, since I have love in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. As you send um, missionaries out, as John goes out and visits with them, that's representative of this body of Christ. He has love in his heart for it. The word is cardia. And and it has the idea that that there's a very intimate relationship with them. Uh, Paul shares with passion their partnership with him in spreading the gospel. Uh, I want want you to know that uh, that you as ministering in this community, when you share the gospel, when you're out seeking to meet needs, when you're ministering, you represent Hoffmantown Church. You represent Christ first. But you also represent this body, and how you represent the body will either open or close doors for the gospel to be preached and shared, for ministry to take place. We never want the community that we're seeking to serve to think that we're just doing it because we have to do it or because somebody expects us to do it. Again, if the joy of the Lord is in your heart, it's going to make a dramatic difference in how they receive you and how the Holy Spirit is going to be able to work through you because it's going to be authentic Christ-likeness. And that's really one of the most powerful things that we can offer into our community. The second thing it says here is that Paul reveals how he longed for them with the affection of Christ. That word longed for has the idea of intensity, craving something. It's the same word used by Paul in Romans 11 where he said, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That's how, how tight a relationship he had. Uh, the other word used there is "with the affection of Christ, and this is a word that denotes the lower region of the bowels, and it was regarded as the seat of affection and sympathy and compassion as the heart is with us. Now you wouldn't say, uh, "I love you with all my bowels." Um, or you'd only say it once. I maybe just one time. And realize that's not. But you do say, I love you with my inmost being. It's the same idea. That's how, uh, that's how relational it is. It's a very strong word to express, express compassion. Paul's love and compassion for them was the motivation for his yearning. He loved the Lord Jesus and loved the church at Philippi. If we love the church, who Christ is the head... If we love the church as Jesus loves his church, his bride. And we showed that love toward one another the way that Jesus showed love toward us through his sacrifice on the cross. What a difference that might make in how God works in us and through us to bring us to where we need to be and to where we need to go. Uh, when, I, when I look at Scripture, I like to really ask those questions. And, and, um, and there's really three points that I, I try to look at. And I, I don't always get this done. And, and, you know, there are those passages where when you get to them, you want to apply them everywhere else but yourself. But, but I, I, I have to look at a passage three ways. One, it points me to God. It, it points Him into my heart, into me and I have to deal with what he's teaching. But then it has to point outward. So it's upward, inward, and outward. And every time you read scripture, those ought to be the things that we're looking at. What does it say about God? What is God telling me as a result of what I see in him and hear from him? And what do I do with that to share that with someone else? And so when we're talking about this, it's not passive. It's not just saying, well, yeah, that's great. He had this great relationship with the church at Philippi. He has this relationship with you. God has this relationship. You have a relationship with one another. And in spite of anything else, the joy of the Lord needs to be there. The love of Christ needs to be evident to those who are looking from the outside in. In fact, there, there's even a thing going around the country now where there are professional um, spies that you can, you can have a guy walk into your church. You pay him, I guess. I, I'd like this job. But you, you pay him to, to come in as a guest and go to the, to the Bible studies and go to the worship service and then come back and give a critique. It's kind of like a, she, a secret shopper. I think it's a great job. So all you gotta do is evaluate and criticize. I mean, how who can't do that, right? <laughs> but if you look at at your church and look at your life from the outside in and say, Lord, let me see what you're seeing, let me see what others see, so that I can I can confess where I need to confess and change where I need to change. Where I can surrender where I need to surrender so that I can become more Christ-like to have a greater impact in my life and in the life of others. Joy is found in unity of heart. And, and I don't think it's intentional at all that, that we have a sense of losing that at times. But I think all the circumstances, the happiness things get in the way of having unity of heart. And that should not be the focus. All right, number three. Joy is found in unity of prayer. And I know you have a strong prayer emphasis here, and that is an exciting thing. But look at verse 9. Look what he prays. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. They were already praying. They were a strong church. They were a unified church. They were a loving church. But Paul prays that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of what? Insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best And may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, he doesn't say pure and sinless, but blameless. Which means that we're doing all we can to be in alignment with what the will of God is for us and for our body of Christ. That we're seeking to have wisdom in how God wants to work through this. Verse 11, he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness, doing right, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So everything that we do should be pointing to how does it glorify and how does it bring praise to the Father. And if it isn't glorifying him and it isn't something that would draw people to praise him, then we need to get rid of it. And focus on those things that do. That's being unified. That's being partners in the gospel. That's having a heart and a love for one another that goes much deeper deeper than just a superficial thing. That means that we're praying together and we're praying for the right things. For love to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That we can be discerning of what is best and may live pure and blameless lives until Christ. Filled with righteousness it comes through Jesus Christ. When you break those down and really begin to focus on those things and then apply what that means in your life, it can dramatically change what God does in and through you. And it, when it happens in your life, it will also be effective in the lives of others. It means to love God, to love one another, love to love those who aren't here and love those who are here. Uh, it's a very appropriate subject of prayer. In Colossians 3, 12 and 14, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. But I don't want to love them. You don't know what they did to me. Really? Huh. Gosh, I thought I was God. I thought I knew all this. But yeah, listen, um, take a good look at what you've done to the Lord in your own life, in your sin, and when you get a good picture of how gracious he is and how great a love he had for you to, to go to a cross to pay a price for your sin when you were so rebellious against him, and yet he forgave you? How hard should it be for you to look at others and reconcile with them and be forgiving toward them and love them when what they've done to you is nothing near what we did to Christ in our sinfulness? Get a better perspective of things. He also prays that they be be able to to be discerning, and that's important because as you seek God's direction, as you seek where he wants to lead you, you need discernment. You need to be praying for one another in love and be discerning and mature in holiness uh, so that you can represent him well. He says that they are are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ, not through our own righteousness, but through his righteousness because then that draws us to uh, draws people to be glorified or glorify him this is a a great passage and we've we've only broken into it a little bit and i need to kind of get to where we're closing here Uh, so let me i'm not going to say this is my last thing but this is close to it so um let me just give you a real quick breakdown here joy comes through unity of thought as you remember those around you and the blessings that they bring that god blesses them with as he works through them joy comes in the unity of heart as you minister and serve together in developing a relationship of love and compassion and joy comes in the unity of prayer as you pray for others and that love will be so evident that the world will know that jesus came that's what he said to His disciples. Let love reign in your life. You say, "Well, okay. How do I do that?" Um, I I found this years ago. It's in "When God Whispers Your Name" by Max Lucado. Max Lucado, and I use it in my marriage counseling class because we have to make choices about how we're going to do some things. And in this book, and I actually had gotten permission from him to use it in my. Uh, when I do some marriage counseling, uh, but he says this, when in, early in the morning, uh, when he when he gets ready to, to head out, he says, for the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I am free to choose. And so I choose Love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today I will love God and love what God loves. I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical, the tool of any lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. I will choose peace. I will live forgiven. I will forgive so that I may live. And he also talks about choosing patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. How do you start your day? Do you start your day by saying, man, I've got all these things going and I remember what happened yesterday and we're still not done dealing with all these other issues and I have to go out and I have to do battle? You know what? When you begin the day in prayer and you're praying for unity and you're praying to love one another and you're praying for discernment and you're, and you're praying for the, uh, God to work in your life and in others and you begin the prayer uh, in the morning and you say, I choose not to let the world's circumstances dictate how I'm going to represent Christ. I choose to love. I choose to forgive. I choose kindness and patience and, and, and endurance. I choose to do these things so that Christ will be glorified in my life. When you start out the day making that choice and surrendering yourself to him, your day will be a whole lot different. And you'll be able to look back at the day, and though you may not have done everything you wanted to or acted according to everything you desired to, you'll be able to look back and give God thanks and give him glory that he gave you the ability to overcome so many circumstances And even in the midst of those, be a reflection of of who Jesus Christ really is in you and through you. Well, the joy of the Lord is something that we need in our life that unifies us and brings us together. Because we focus on the eternal and on the kingdom, not on the earthly and on the fleshly. Let the joy of the Lord radiate through you in such a way that people really see a true picture of who Jesus Christ is. Let's bow our heads for a moment. If you're here this morning and you're not really grasping what I'm talking about as far as a relationship with Jesus, The scripture is very clear that we are sinners and our sin has separated us from Christ. There is a great gap and that great gap has has left us without any hope in the world And, and if we die we will not be with him in eternity. We'll be separated from him and we'll be in hell for eternity. But Jesus came to earth to fix that problem. He went to a cross to pay the price for our sin we couldn't pay. He overcame sin and death through his resurrection and he gave us that promise that if, if we will believe in him and if we will confess our sin and turn from it and ask him to come into our life and forgive us of our sin, that he will make us new creations. And it's a very simple thing to agree with God about what he already knows about us, that we're sinners. And you, can, you just simply say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I've done things wrong. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to turn from my sin and follow Christ. I absolutely believe that he died on the cross, and that was sufficient to pay the price for my sin. And But he rose from the grave, and he opened up the kingdom of heaven, and I want to receive his forgiveness. I want a new life. I want eternal life. Please give that to me, and he will do that. Believer, get a good picture of your life right now in relationship, your personal relationship with the Lord, uh, what your life looks like as you relate to others. Pray to be a partner in the gospel ministry. Pray to have joy of the Lord, which will bring unity to the body. And pray for discernment and love and for Christ to be glorified in your life and put away the things of this world and let Christ be lifted up. And then watch what God does in changing you and in changing and working and growing his body.